0: Traveler, we're alive from the apocalypse.
1: Hey, hi, hello, and other words that start with the titular letter of this podcast. It's your Academy Age storyteller, Will, here, welcoming you to another exciting, action-packed Academy Age episode. Kind of. This episode, and the next three or so, are actually from an interlude story that we recorded called Fallen Stars, which uses the Fist system by Claymore Roleplaying Games. I love Fist. It's a fantastic game. I would absolutely recommend anyone and everyone check it out, because as you will hear, we had an absolute blast playing it. You can find more information about Fist at claymorerpgs.itch.io. When we first recorded this, the first edition had just come out, I believe, but since then they've released a lot of supplemental material, and it's all fantastic. So please, if you enjoy this arc, definitely check it out. But yeah, with all of that being said, we are still raising money for Doctors Without Borders through all of our content, whether it be streams or podcasts. If you'd like to help out, you can find a donate link in the show notes of this episode. And if you were listening to this day of, we will be back recording a brand new episode of our main show, Academy H, next Sunday, February 4th at 6pm Eastern Standard Time, over at twitch.tv slash livefromtheapocalypse. You'll want to keep an eye on the Live from the Apocalypse social media accounts and the Discord as well, as we've been having some conversations with Magpie Games, who makes masks, and we have some pretty cool stuff in the works. But I think, somewhat miraculously, that is all the stuff that I have to say. So I'm not going to keep you any longer. Without further ado... Please enjoy our Academy Age interlude, Fallen Stars, Part 1. Did everybody else just hear Julia cut out and then just yell Jupiter? Yes, yes. Okay, good. Just wanted to make sure that wasn't just me. Okay, well, uh, while things are still happening, I think we should probably go ahead and get started. Uh, So, we are live from the apocalypse, and this is Academy Age, kind of very not-for-profit, the actual play studio that makes content like podcasts and streams and things like that to raise money for nonprofits and aid organizations and other worthy causes. And we do a lot of things. One of them is this show. Normally, this would be our masks actual play podcast, which is very good, but we are not doing that tonight. We are telling an interlude story because we left off last time on a very dramatic note. And I think our characters are going to take a little bit of time. To process everything that took place and so while we are on that break we're going to take a look at a different part of the world of academy h and in order to do that we are going to use the fist system fist stands for uh i shouldn't have started this i don't remember what the acronym is i shouldn't have started this sentence you fool freelance infantry strike team nailed it yes cool (laughs) That is what the acronym stands for. It is a great system that is largely PBTA. It's largely powered by the apocalypse, but it is very simple. And basically, all we're going to be doing is rolling uh, 2d6. And people have traits that define what their characters can do. And people will probably die because it is a system that is built to make it easy for people to die. So we're going to see how that that works out. But all that being said, I think we can go ahead and get into our introductions. The moment you've all been waiting for. Brendan.
2: Yes, hello. I'm Brendan. Um, I'm, I'm just here trying to think of, of other, other funny acronyms uh, for FIST, and I'll probably be posting those in the chat uh, for the remainder of the game. Normally, I am playing uh, Alex Sandowski, aka Victory, using the Legacy Playbook. Tonight, I'm going to be playing... So we're only supposed to use code names, right? We're not supposed to use real names.
1: I don't think everybody came up with a real name, so I, I would stick to codenames. Yeah,
2: I, 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 full disclosure, <laughs> I didn't actually come up with a real name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'll be playing Ossuary, who is just one of the the several unsettling individuals we all came up with. Will gave us this whole list of traits from all sorts of different things we could do, and we all went with the worst, the worst <laughs> things we could come up with. I do not know what is wrong with us.
1: To emphasize what Brendan said, I cannot. I cannot overemphasize that like there are lots of traits that are like, you have a gun, or like, you work out a lot. I just want you to bear that in mind as we get into meeting the characters. There are many
2: very hinged traits, uh, and we wanted none of that.
3: It's true.
1: And speaking of unhinged, Jamie?
3: So can I be hinged or unhinged? Flip a coin. Hi, I'm Jamie. Uh, Normally I play Danny Carseat, who uses the Harbinger rulebook who is a space cadet, emotionally worked up, a weirdo obsessed with swords. But today we're putting that in the backseat and we will be playing Seed, a grounded emotional nutcase with an obsession with swords. So I'm really going out of my comfort zone with this one. Seed has uh, emotional powers and he also <laughs> he also studied the blade. <laughs> so that's basically all you need to know going into this character. And I hope y'all like him as much as I do.
0: Uh, Hi, I'm JD. I usually play Casimir Bright, a.k.a. Spectral, who uses the Scion playbook. Tonight, I will be playing Watcher. You will get to know more about them as we start playing, but they, I think, fall within the unhinged category, much like everyone else's (laughs) characters. Very good. Julia?
4: Hi, I'm Julia. You can find me at Hexwet on all social media. Normally, when I'm here on Sundays, I'm playing Lyra Kroll, which is the Janice playbook. She's uh, a little high-strung and a little paranoid. And today, I'm playing someone very much not those things. I'm playing the Sorrows, and they are here for a good time. Okay.
1: (laughs) It's not the impression I was given, but all right.
4: (laughs) It's a good time for them, not a good
1: time for everyone else. Yeah, I guess that's fair.
2: They are here for a time.
1: Right. We're all here for a time. A time will be had. It's true. Speaking of having a time, my name is Will, and I'm fine. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) With all that being said, let's get into this. Much like the first episode of Academy H, our establishing shot over the city of province, kind of our east coast every city in this setting, it is... A sprawling metropolis full of shining buildings on the water. You've seen it before. But in one particular section of the city, there is the span of an entire city block that is dominated by a large compound. It is a single building, but it takes up every square foot of real estate within that city block. It has a domed ceiling rising above it and several sub-complexes spawning from it in many different directions. There is a low wall that runs around the outside of the compound, and normally, the Heraklion, the headquarters of the superhuman regulatory agency managed by the United Nations, known as Interspec, stands as a example and a testament to a higher ideal to protect the people of the world, from individuals with powers who choose not to use them responsibly. Normally, that is the case, but currently, part of the Heraklion is wrecked. Part of the Heraklion has collapsed in on itself, been destroyed, and it is in the process of being rebuilt, but there are sections still that are exposed to the open air. And it is through one of these gaps in the normally impenetrable walls that we make our way through some of these halls alongside a lone figure, a man who stands about five foot ten. He is fairly muscular, as we can tell, because of the very tight fitting leather sort of bodysuit that he is wearing, which is emblazoned on each shoulder with an emblem. The emblem is a circle with a star in the center of it. This man has medium brown hair that is cut very close to his head, kind of a military-style crew cut, has a bit of a scruffy beard on his face, and he carries two crossed katanas on his back. And there is a name tag on the front of his suit that just says M Masterson. He steps out of the elevator that he is riding in. And finds himself facing a door on that door there is a plaque that is emblazoned and it says austin tajiri director of interspec
2: hey my magical doppelganger saved him in the past
3: (laughs) that's true what a weird sentence
1: (laughs) and yet totally accurate (laughs) (laughs) micah masterson steps forward he reaches out for the door but he's interrupted as a man steps through the door, as if it wasn't even tangible. Micah lets out a little yell and jumps back out of surprise. The man stops moving and stands still, freezes, with like an apologetic expression on his face. He is wearing a very well-tailored and expensive looking suit. Uh, It's black. The shirt that he wears underneath it is white, The tie that he wears around his neck is a very thin cut, also black, and the man himself is very handsome. He is a little bit over six feet tall. He has dark hair, kind of a gentle expression on his face as he steps through and sees Micah standing there with the expression of surprise. He says, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were there. Micah straightens himself, kind of dusts off his clothes, tries to pass it off that nothing happened. And he nods to the man and says, Not a problem, director. The director sort of sighs and says, Micah, we've known each other for like 15 years. If it's just the two of us, you don't have to call me director. Micah does not relax in any way, just kind of holds that same sort of rigid posture. The director of interspec, Austin Tajiri, says, Okay, what do you got for me? Micah nods his head and says follow me i think you'll want to see this a few moments later they step out of that same elevator and start walking down a glass enclosed walkway that is clearly elevated as they step forward austin says to micah so how many are you recommending and micah replies and says I think four, four to start with. It's a good crop this time, but resources aren't unlimited. Depending on how this goes, we may not get another shot. Austin nods, puts his hands in his pockets, says, everybody knows what they signed up for, right? I don't want to send anybody blind into this. Micah nods and says, oh yeah. Yeah, they know. And Austin says, Alright, let me see where you picked out. May step up to one of the glass walls of the enclosure and Micah points down that right there is Codename Watcher. And JD, would you like to describe your character?
0: I would. Watcher is about 5'11". Uh, fairly slim with Wavy blonde hair that reaches the nape of their neck, and green eyes that are just on the edge of being unnaturally vibrant. They are dressed in an all black bodysuit uh, that goes from their chin and covers every inch of skin on their body. There are gloves on their hands, uh, but most strikingly, there are a pair of wings, white and feathered coming out through slits cut in the back of their bodysuit.
1: The guideline that you were all given basically when you were brought in here was that you'd be running through some training exercises for diagnostics. So what do you think that would look like for Watcher? For
0: Watcher, that would be showing off their agility and their ability to fly. And so I see them moving through an obstacle course, Dodging, diving out of the way, demonstrating that they can do like rolls in the air and then study themselves using those types of tactics to complete the
1: challenge. And the director takes all of that in and says, so what's his story? And Micah says, your guess is as good as mine, honestly. Kind of got picked up a while back, no memories, No idea where he came from, no idea where those wings came from either, but he gives off some kind of low-level radiation that can't be identified. At least, we haven't been able to figure out what it is yet. Doesn't seem harmful, doesn't actually seem to do anything. Mostly he just flies around, but it's come in handy on more than one occasion. The director nods and says, so what about over here? Micah says, yeah. Um, you're going to want to take a step back. Julia, (laughs) (laughs) what would they see looking out at the Sorrows?
4: So they currently look like a smaller woman, very pale, kind of like unnaturally so. Like it looks like they're almost in shock. They've got a short black bob, their eyes... You're not entirely sure what the color is because they're kind of stuck at a mid-dilation point. The body suit, the tactical body suit that they wear um, at the collar, sometimes when they move, you can see a strange kind of discoloration around the neck, a banding of almost like it's bruised. And they have black gloves on that have a quick-release like slit in them so that they can very easily and very quickly be pulled back over the hands without taking the whole glove off and then pulled back on. And they're probably standing there and demonstrating why they keep the gloves on. And it's probably something along the lines of, like, picking up probably, like, lab mice. And then when the mice start to show signs of, like, intense discomfort at just being held, they put them back down, and probably the doctor who's with them and mister is, like, an antidote to them.
1: Micah continues talking at that point and says, That's the Sorrows. Collectively, it's complicated. But right now, they're one person. You know what? We don't need to get into that. They They poison things, mostly. And he just seems intensely uncomfortable with the whole conversation. And Austin says, Okay, fair enough. What's the origin? Micah replies, extraterrestrial, we think. Definitely came off of a spaceship. Not human. Tell you that much.
4: If they stare a little too long, I think from the corner of the mouth, just uh, what they see is like a spider crawls up and just goes in the mouth. And there's no visible reaction.
1: Austin says, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I get the picture. Micah leads the director away from the wall and says, next up is Ossuary. I wish I could tell you it gets better. (laughs) What would they see looking out at Ossuary?
2: Uh, (laughs) uh, Oh, so I think I think at this moment, Ossuary is being run through a kind of obstacle course, but it is basically like like a vent system, like he's crawling through a vent system, but it's like transparent plastics. You could see his his progress And the whole thing is sort of twisty and windy and booby-trapped, kind of like a Chuck E. Cheese play place designed by Jigsaw. (laughs) And he is currently folding his body through a series of junctions that should not be able to accommodate an actual human person, or really even most animals. He's just sort of squiggling his way through. Uh, There's a timer, I think, going up on the wall in the background, and someone's trying to keep track of his current time. He's going for a PB and finally manages to... He's getting stuck right at the very end That a particularly tight section that also involves him sort of like fitting himself around some razor wire. But he does ultimately sort of uh, come out of it uh, up at the top and literally just kind of falls just like a straight 20 feet to the ground, landing on the concrete with like a wet smack before sort of like peeling his cartilaginous self up off the floor... Reinflating a little bit, so okay, he also has a skin-tight black bodysuit Looks like it's sort of reinforced with straps in certain sections. He's kind of tightening, kind of keeping keeping all the bits together uh, in a human shape. The human shape that looks a lot like a uh, basically a, a wax sculpture of Ryan Gosling you've left out in the sun a little too long.
1: <laughs> Honestly, the the role of Ryan Gosling's career. Yeah, <laughs> this character. <laughs> director taijiri shudders involuntarily and says how does he do that and micah says um so sometimes he has bones sometimes he doesn't have bones kind of and micah will reach out and hit an intercom on the wall and will say i was right, can you do the other thing
2: also, uh, reaches down to his belt where he has a very odd-looking device attached to it, grasping it and turning it on. There is sort of a low kind of a thrum that fills the room. It's sort of an ultrasonic pulse. He sort of hunches over, and it looks like something is like moving underneath the jumpsuit. And also, almost looks like he's getting longer. Almost like his skeletal structure is inflating. His features distend. And finally, he actually has to reach back and essentially pull a quick release on his outer tissue, which he proceeds to peel off like like a latex glove, revealing a large bone man, a skeleton that is also like a medieval knight, where all of the bones are fused together and there are additional plates on top of each other, with only the barest kind of connective tissue putting them all together. How he actually moves without any muscles to do it is actually a very interesting discussion, but one that we don't have time for right now. The long and short of it is that he has many bones. He has many big bones. And then finally, he also he pulls out a long spiked bone club that kind of utilizes like, like a short staff.
1: The director leans over and says, where did he get the club? And Micah says, don't, don't ask. Don't ask. So Sometimes no bones, sometimes lots of bones. So that's, uh, that's Osuori. He was a Lotus Group project. We're pretty sure, anyway. Did a lot of dangerous work, ex-military, ex-stuntman, kind of a thrill-seeker. Took one too many risks. Shattered every bone in his body. And I guess that made him a good candidate for whatever treatment they were trying to drum up at the time. And that's the result. Now he works for us. And last but not least, Micah leads the director away again, down a flight of stairs, and actually out into this open-air training area that you all have been standing in, even though your particular sections are kind of partitioned off. He leads the director down into one of those partitions, where he will point across the room, kind of gesture, and say, And that is Seed. He'll be running the op. Jamie, would you like to describe Seed?
3: Seed is, uh, just by gait and look, uh, appears to be older, 50s, maybe 60s, covered in scars, face, arms, wearing a pretty, pretty traditional star tactical outfit, wearing goggles as their chosen eyewear as opposed to sunglasses like most do, and keeps a handkerchief tied around their face. And also wears um, white gloves, just something that helps them stand out as if they are an important NPC. (laughs) I've also got gray-white hair pulled back into a high and tight ponytail. Short, just, you know, the kind that if you undid would kind of just kind of make a clump around their head, but right now just pulled back. And they are reading a book while uh, three other trainees are trying to disable them, but without really paying attention is just kind of ignoring them while continuing to read deflecting their blows with a katana that you can't really describe it because it is covered in a sickly green kind of glow, but it is not being used offensively, purely defensively.
1: And as they start walking across the room towards you, Micah is going to keep talking to the director and say, Seed has been here a long time, longer than most. Trust him more than anybody else we're sending. Obviously very capable, never given me any reason to doubt his loyalties. And the director nods and says, Are "You sure this isn't sword favoritism?" And Micah gets like quiet and kind of like mumbles something under his breath, but then says a little louder, "I I did the swords first. That was that was my thing before he showed up. So, <clears throat> but it's fine." The trainee is seeing them walking over, stop attacking you and back off a little bit. Micah will gesture and say, "Seed," this is the director. Director Tajiri, this is Seed.
3: Seed will nod politely and just say, Sirs, I apologize. We were just going through the motions while we were preparing for the operation. There's never enough time to get in a little extra work.
1: The director speaks and says, You look like you're more than ready. Your entire team does. First thing I want to say is, uh, Are you sure? Completely optional, completely voluntary. We've never done an op like this before, and he gives a meaningful look over at Micah and says, Frankly, I have a lot of reservations about signing off on it. If there hadn't been so many willing volunteers, I probably wouldn't have.
3: Your fears are understandable, but these are the best people for this considerable mission. I mean, I trust every single one of these folks with my life, and if I didn't, it would fall on me and I'm the one taking the risk. So I I say with utmost respect to my team, and to you, of course, that we are ready for this. And I don't say it lightly when I, I say I agree with Masterson that this is the, he'll like, laugh and like, do a little like, you think he's winking underneath those goggles to Director Tajiri? As much as it might pain me to agree that this is the correct course of action with him, I think this is what needs to be done.
1: Understood, well then. The director will turn to Micah and say, it's all yours, Masterson, you have the green light. Operation Falling Stars is go. And he will turn and walk away, and Micah will say, Understood, sir. And then we'll glance over at the rest of this training area as these partitioned walls start to lift off of the ground, and you're all in the same general area now. Micah will say, All right. Gather up, and once you're all back together again, he'll look around at each of you and he'll say, this is it. We got the green light. It's happening. Commander Jones is going to be in any minute to debrief you. But after that, you know what's going to happen. You're pretty much on your own. Not worried about you. Worked with you all long enough. Seen you in action enough times. Take care of yourselves and each other. Gives a meaningful look to the sorrows.
4: They will smile there's no shifting to the the eyes at all.
1: We have talked about this. Don't do that.
4: They'll hold one of their hands out to shake his. The glove is on. Dr. Lance says it's important that I I go through the motions.
1: Shake the hand, sir. <laughs> kind of like twitches involuntarily and, and reaches out and just very, gives the quickest handshake possible. Good luck. I'm not going to be the one who needs it.
4: Yes, but Dr. Lance says it's a
1: good thing to say. Yeah, no, okay, Dr. Lance, I get it. Yeah, all right, great. He will give you all a salute, and then he will turn and start to walk away. And as he does so, he will pass, coming down the stairs from that walkway, another person. She is a woman of about the same age as Micah Masterson. She is blonde, and she is a little bit shorter than he is, just a couple inches, maybe about 5'7 or 5'8". But she's also wearing the standard sort of inner-spec uniform, except the emblem on her shoulders, instead of it being a star in a circle, is a circle with a few lines drawn through it that kind of intersect with each other. Almost like a cross or an X, depending on the way it would be shaped. She is clearly very well-muscled underneath the uniform. She is in excellent physical shape. And she does not give Micah Masterson a second glance as they pass each other, Even though he, like, stops to talk to her, she just keeps walking past him. He shakes his head and tries to play it off, completely fails, and goes to the staircase and walks back up onto the platform. And the woman continues walking, and she reaches you all, and she looks around. She looks a little bit sad, and she says, All right, some of us have met before, some of us haven't. I'm Commander Mary Jones from the Super Tactical Rescue, Intelligence, Peacekeeping, and Evacuation Squad. Before I was that, though, I was a result of the Lotus Group's experiments. Full disclosure, I was born with a neurodegenerative condition. My mom had the same condition. We were approached by scientists from a medical group, doctors, who said that they had an experimental cure. Not knowing any better and without any other avenues to go to, my parents said yes. They signed up for it. They signed me up for it. And things were fine at first. It seemed to work. I was cured. My mom was cured, as long as the treatments were going on. But eventually, things started to change. The way that my mom acted started to change. She became more aggressive. Sometimes she didn't seem to remember who she was, and the medical group went from having both of us doing physical therapy, physical conditioning into full-on combat training. That's when we started asking questions but there weren't a lot of answers forthcoming and it was the only thing that seemed to work so my dad didn't know what to do. Eventually, he ran and he took me with him and we went into hiding for a very long time. The treatment seemed to have a permanent effect though. As far as I'm aware, I was one of the Lotus Group's first success stories, and the treatments left me with basically the ability to be as strong or as fast as I need to be in a given situation. My body chemistry reacts to stress in a very unique way, and basically makes up for any deficiencies. So that's my story. I have spent more time inside of the Lotus Group than anyone we currently have access to. and. I wish I could lead this op. I wish I could go on this op. God knows I have a score to settle, but they would know me. If they didn't recognize me from when I was a kid, I made a little bit too much noise when I was in Generation H. That anonymity is no longer an avenue available to me. Hence why the four of you are here. It is not going to be easy to get in. And it is not going to be easy to get an invitation either. The only real option we have available to us is to make enough of a... And she pauses here meaningfully and says, Splash, that you end up on their radar and get invited. Once you're in there, everybody's going to be watching your every move. You're going to be under severe scrutiny, especially considering your backgrounds. Make no mistake, they will know who you are. They will know where you came from and how you got your powers. They are incredibly well-informed, well-connected, well-funded, but they also are making a play for power for the first time. Instead of just hiding in the shadows, doing their little experiments, they are opening up the gates. And that's not an opportunity that we can pass up.
0: And Watcher raises their hand, kind of waiting.
1: You don't have to raise your hand, you can just ask me a question.
0: You said that they will know us and our backgrounds and where we got our powers. I would really like that because I don't know the answer to any of those questions.
1: Honestly, in your case, I don't know. But they'll know that you were spec at the very least. They'll know that you worked for this institution and you were part of this team. Understood.
3: Ma'am, I have a question. My history with this team isn't exactly unknown. Are you sure I'm not more of a liability on this mission? Comparatively to our, no offense,
1: newer recruits. That is why we have to make a splash. And that is why you... And she pauses for a second there and says, why you can't be part of InterSpec anymore. We are burning you.
3: Not the first job I've been fired from.
4: You can be fired from jobs?
3: oh yeah oh you could you
2: could be fired could I, let me tell you I've been fired from so many jobs I got fired from the marines I got fired from this one movie set after I, I flipped a semi-trailer it was Soldier. I, you know I'm sorry I'm sorry did not I started talking
1: to that end we are burning you and you're gonna retaliate we've picked a target that you're gonna hit you're gonna make a lot of noise doing it it's gonna be very flashy nobody's gonna get hurt but that'll be by design and hopefully they won't know that Our belief is that four X stars are going to be too juicy of a target for them to pass up for their supervillain summit or whatever this thing is. As you all know, with the jailbreak, a lot of people got out of the labyrinth that shouldn't have and are now out there. And we need to know why the Lotus Group is trying to bring so many of them together. And if you can figure out who the fuck is at the top these days, even better.
3: Ma'am, is this just fact-finding, or are we going a little heavy-handed?
1: Once you're in there, you're on your own. As a matter of fact, once you walk out those doors and she points, you're on your own. Your job is to get in there. What happens after that, you're going to have to figure out on the fly. If you see an opportunity to dismantle the Lotus Group, I trust you'll do what you need to do. But if you can get us information, even better. But we can't send you in with equipment. We can't send you in with the means to communicate with us. We can't send you in with anything that would potentially give you away. It has to look real. It has to be real.
4: Dr. Lance says I am an excellent actor. We are doing very well, they say.
1: So happy to hear it. I've noticed a difference. Any other questions?
4: Will you say goodbye to Dr. Lance for me?
1: She kind of blinks like she wasn't expecting that and says, of course, of course we will. Then I have no questions. Will
0: you say goodbye to Commander Masterson for me? I didn't have a chance to say goodbye before he left.
1: I will not, no.
0: Oh.
3: Will you tell Masterson to get fucked for me?
1: (coughs) I will. Yes, I will do that.
3: Excellent. I don't have anything that I want you to say to anybody.
2: Is that okay? So, is that, is that, I didn't, I was, were we supposed to prepare something? I didn't. um...
4: She can also say goodbye to Dr. Lance for you.
2: Oh, well that, you know, that would be great, actually. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind doing that. I don't. I don't know Dr. Lance, but, you know, seems like a nice
1: guy. You've all been, you've all been evaluated. Of course, you've been evaluated. Yeah,
0: many times, many, many times.
1: Yeah.
3: Often. Masterson wouldn't, um... Yeah, Masterson wouldn't make any mistakes. I mean, uh, I mean, I don't work for your, you guys anymore, right? Yes. You're right, it's not going to be like your problem anymore, right? <laughs> I mean, if I'm getting fired, and then uh, Seed pulls out a flask out of his pocket, <laughs> and then just... <laughs> Hoorah! Hoorah! <laughs>
0: Hoorah. Is this a battle cry?
4: Not yet. We are not yet fighting. Unless I am supposed to fight you. Are we supposed to fight them?
3: Belay that. (laughs) No fighting, all right? We're not a bunch of teenagers that don't have their emotions under control, okay? Please, please, no fighting in the war room.
1: Commander Mary Jones is just standing there with, like, her eyes open and, like, her jaw hanging out, watching all of this happen, and she glances up at the platform and if you follow the gaze, you can see that the director and Masterson are standing there just looking down, and she gives him this wide-eyed look and just, like, raises her arms slightly in a questioning gesture, and Masterson smirks at her and shrugs. Watch her waves up to Commander Masterson. He will wave back at you very, very happy. Commander Jones says, All right. Well, in a lot of ways, the future of interspec is in your hands. We can't make a move against Lotus Group without more information, and we've never been able to get any of it, so... Good luck, and... Good luck. Good luck.
3: It was an honor to work with you, man.
1: She will salute you all, and turn and walk away, and start climbing the staircase. And before we cut away from this scene... We'll cut back up to the platform the observation deck where the director and Masterson are looking down she reaches them the director leans back behind Masterson makes eye contact with her and says so what's your read? she shakes her head joins the two of them standing there looking down and says well, I don't think the Lotus Group is going to question why we fired them Masterson nods and the director says roger that Let's burn them. At this moment, we have the very exciting title card sequence of this particular (laughs) adventure, depicting in a series of still images and short bursts of action, the things that you have done to justify this being burned. I think interspersed, there are a whole bunch of scenes of general chaos and things that you have done. Would you care to describe any of these? Your characters have been let off of the leash, essentially, and have been told, go out there, make chaos, just don't hurt anyone.
4: I think at at least one point, one of the stills is just the sorrows standing there with their jaw completely unhinged and like a handful of spiders just spilling out onto the ground and just people just immediately backing off. Like there's no other context of what's happening here. That's just all you see.
2: I think there's a scene of a of a cement mixer careening down the street, plowing through a line of parked cars along the side of a of busy province street. The windshield is shattered. There is a terrorist in the passenger seat whom Ossuary is kicking repeatedly from the hood of the cement mixer where he is stuck, but he has one hand still in the cab steering the cement mixer poorly. Oh, and the reason why it's still going, even though no one is driving it, is because there is another terrorist who is already dead. But in his in his last moments of rigor mortis, his foot was jammed onto the accelerator.
1: I can't believe you finally put a stop to that group of terrorists who are stealing cement mixers. Yeah, right? <laughs> you See, the
2: cement mixer is full of C4. See, that's the thing. They were using the cement mixer to smuggle the C4, and so the cement mixer that is also a bomb is the one that is careening down the street, plowing through parked cars, that Ossuary is driving with one hand from the outside while he is also kicking a terrorist, without actually looking where he's going.
1: The most beautiful sentence I've ever heard in my life.
3: For Seeds, it is just them walking out of a bank, the uh, vault door having been cleaved into five, six giant chunks of metal, two giant bags, and um, security guards who have been cut in half, but they are covered in that sickly green energy that their sword emits so while they're cut in half they're still alive they just can't like move like the parts are operating independently and that will you know wear off eventually maybe
1: and then they'll be whole again or they'll be dead bodies cut in half no they don't die okay cool of
2: course no 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 no. amazing it's a sword that cuts you in half nicely
1: it's fine
0: and so I don't think Watcher actually has to do that much to get attention on them Since they are a person with wings and in order to draw attention to them, the approach they take is to effectively rip their suit in half and reveal the tattoos and scars that are covering their entire body that all glow with that reddish ember-like energy. At which point they also bring out... Not just the usual pair of wings, but six wings.
1: It's a lot of wings. It is a lot of wings. It's a lot of wings. Um, people people flee, people scream and run away from you. Absolutely. The tabloids are having the best day of their lives. And, and yeah, you have, you have effectively disrupted organized religion in the aftermath of this moment. At the end of the day, what more can any of us ask for? Amazing. So we've got that beautiful cold open, That series of quick scenes and flashes. And we're gonna cut ahead a few days after your streak of chaos and destruction to the safe house that you have all been holed up in, which I think is a strictly off the books Interspec property. A little more than like a basement in like an abandoned house, but it has been fairly well outfitted. You have access to some equipment and some tools and enough like food and supplies and things that you would need. I think this is an interesting opportunity. How well do the four of you know each other, do we think?
2: I guess it's the question of if we've worked together before or not.
1: I think likely, yes. Star program used to be one unit, basically, a very small sort of contained group. It has grown since then and kind of tends to use that task force model where a group of you are put together for a specific mission and then sent out. But I think it's fair to say that you've all probably worked with each other in some capacity before.
2: Yeah, I think I feel like I feel like given the little the little moment that we had back in the briefing, I feel like Oswarey and Seed have worked together before and Oswarey is used to answering to him. And by the same token Seed is also used to having to handle Oswarey.
3: Yeah, but in a friendly way, not an annoyed way.
1: Yeah, I think it makes sense that they would have paired uh the two of you together for sure since Oswarey needs some guidance in the judgment department and uh
2: And neither of them can die, so...
1: In theory, that is... In theory, that is correct.
2: They are that unique combination of expendable and invulnerable that makes for the perfect henchman.
1: 100%. It's an interesting thing, because Watcher has more recently come to Interspec, but Sorrows has been there for a very long time.
4: So Sorrows has been with Interspec pretty much since, I think, like 2003, but they haven't been with Stars as long and so i think they probably worked with maybe everyone except for watcher before but this is not what the sorrows looked like probably the last time you worked with them and depending on how closely you are comfortable speaking to the sorrows is whether or not they justify that because they just operate under
1: it's fine just for the audience at home what did the sorrows look like last time anybody saw them
4: Last time anybody saw them, they probably looked like a very tall, very kind of spindly young man. Younger than they are now. Longer brown hair, blue eyes, but still always in that mid-colored section. If you ever saw them without their shirt, that pinned up place was kind of filled in with like, a very condensed gossamer of like (laughs) lots and lots of spider webs, you know, like in the trees and things of the woods when they have like big spider nests like that. And occasionally you might see some of the spiders (laughs) move through it. That's the last time you saw them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I regret asking.
4: This time now they're, they're all in one piece.
1: You made your choice, well. Sure did. So then as you are all gathered in your safe house and just kind of Kicking back for a moment, you have a little bit of time on your hands. Now that you've laid the seeds of your being no longer affiliated with interspec, you're kind of just waiting to see what happens now. And I think at this particular moment that we rejoin you, there is a knock on one of the doors in your safe house. But not a door that any of you have used. This particular door, you probably checked when you first got into the safe house, and it's basically a closet. Like it has some dry goods, it has some cleaning supplies, uh, maybe like some spare sheets, but there's nowhere to go in there. It's just a little like, alcove with a door on it, basically. But there is a knock now coming from there. Seed
3: is lying on a couch, reading a book, and doesn't even bat an eye at the door knocking, just be like, someone want to get that?
4: We'll get it. We will get it. we hop up from where they were probably playing like solitaire, like with the physical cards.
2: Guys, can we get fired again? Because man, that was a
1: blast.
4: The Saras will reach for the door first and then they'll kind of remember themselves and they'll go, oh, yeah. Who is it?
1: The voice on the other end just says, telegram. <gasps> and I'll open the door. <laughs> on the other side of the door, there is a person standing there. They are wearing a... Powder blue button-down shirt fairly garish slacks of the same rough color kind of a very old-fashioned cut and very shiny black shoes they're maybe in their mid to late 30s kind of hard to say very clean-shaven almost like very very androgynous features kind of long blondish hair that is loosely pulled back into a braid and they uh they step out And they have a package in their hands. They have a cardboard box that is sealed and it is emblazoned on the top with a lotus.
4: Thank you. Do we have to sign for
1: it? Not at all. And he'll hand it over and he'll kind of stand there waiting. You're not sure if he's waiting to answer questions you might have or if he's waiting for a tip or
3: what? Seed from the couch will be like, sorrow tip the man.
1: Tsaras will put the box on the ground
4: and then they will assume leading position in a waltz and they will dip him and pick him back up and be like
3: mm-hmm. You just hear it from across the room.
4: <sighs>
0: was that not what was supposed to happen?
3: Ossuary will um his arm
2: sort of reaches down into the doorway from above with a fiber
1: The very disoriented man, after being dipped and then all of the ensuing chaos, he looks around, settles on the five dollar bill that's kind of hanging there, and picks it up, takes it from your hand, kind of nods to all of you and says, much appreciated. And then we'll step back into the closet, shut the door, maybe vanish.
4: Good luck. Pick up the box.
0: Is that something people can do? Just disappear? People can
1: do lots of things.
2: Wait, oh, I stored my shit in there. Is this still there? And we'll open up the door frantically to make sure that the closet is once again there.
1: When you open the door, the closet is back. He is not in it anymore. But uh, yeah, you see all of the like snacks and cleaning supplies and stuff.
3: Oh, thank God. All right. Who gets a dopamine rush from opening packages? I think the Sorrows does.
4: I don't actually have dopamine. We don't produce that. Do I
2: have dopamine? I'll open it. I'll open it. It might—it could be booby-trapped. It might be bombed. It might explode.
3: All right, everybody, back up. Right, baby, what you got for me?
2: <laughs> cool. I think what we think. Are we talking? Are we talking shrapnel? Are we talking BB? What's what we doing? What we doing here? All right. I'm assuming there are not actually any explosives.
1: There are not. You don't find any explosives. As you give it the good ones over.
2: Uh, you hear Ossuary give just the subtlest sigh of disappointment. It's just, it's a, it's a pretty box. It's a pretty box, which is cool. It's great. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's a very pretty box. Um, it's got a flower on it. Which reminds me I need to get my mom a present for Mother's Day. Uh, what is in the box?
1: In the box, there is a a metal disc of some kind that is technological in nature. It's about the size of a frisbee, a little bit thicker than one normally. And in the center of it, there is a glass bubble. Basically, you don't see any way to turn it on or activate it when you first look at it or turn it over in your hands.
3: Alright, so can I make this explode?
4: Do we want to make it explode? That seems like a waste of a gift.
3: Please don't make this explode. This seems like the waste of why we're here.
4: That as well.
2: I'll give it a thorough examination, see if it's got any, uh, if it's like like a weird, like, knives-out puzzle or anything like that.
1: It doesn't seem to have any type of puzzle in it or anything but as you turn it over as you're turning it over in your hands and examining it there's a whirring sound as the glass part lights up it extends out in every direction a blue light that kind of reaches to the very edges of all of the walls in the room starts at the very bottom and then slides up and as it does so you are all in that same glow those of you who understand technology well enough would realize that you were being scanned. And when it reaches the ceiling, basically the light retreats and the disc starts talking. Are you going to set it down?
2: Guys, I don't I don't know shit about technology, but I've seen a movie and I'm pretty sure we just got scanned.
0: Yes, they've done a lot of scans on me. Shh, they're talking.
2: As, please put it on the table. <laughs> <laughs> he does so.
1: As you set it down a small hologram flickers to life out of that same glass component it is a man but you can't really see any features of this individual because they are dressed in this kind of amorphous black outfit you're not really sure if it's like a cloak or what you're not really sure if it's even clothing or if this is just the way the image was programmed to look, but they're basically just kind of this amorphous black mass from the neck down. But above that, their face is completely white and featureless, and the voice that emerges from it is somewhat garbled and inhuman. You wouldn't be able to recognize the voice even if you knew who this person was, but
5: they speak and they say, It is our very great honor to invite all of you to join us at Lotus Island for a gathering unlike any the world has ever seen before. You may be familiar with the Lotus Group by reputation, but there is a very bright future ahead of us. We have plans in motion that we would like for you to be a part of, should you prove yourselves among the faithful, of course. Contained within the information in this invitation are coordinates. You'll be responsible for seeing yourselves here. And we look forward to receiving you. You need not bring any weapons of any kind. Should you need them, they will be provided for you. And of course, all your other needs will be seen too.
1: That seems to be pretty much the end of the message.
4: Does it kind of like the light goes off and it goes back inside of itself? Or does the dude just kind of like hover there as if he's going to do a Q&A?
1: The dude just kind of disappears. And yeah, I think it's interesting to say that there's like an aperture that closes over the the projector.
4: I think before anyone can do anything else, the sorrows puts the lid back on the box, picks it up, opens the front door, puts it outside and closes the door before we start to talk.
3: Good call.
2: So I think Shang Tsung just invited us to Mortal Kombat.
4: Is that is is that the movie we watched last night?
2: Yeah. (gasps) Yeah, no, I got fired
3: from that one, too. You want to hear the story? No. Boss says no. So we have our invite. This is why we're here. They said not to bring weapons. I'm bringing my sword. If we get in trouble for it, that's on me. You guys can ditch me, beat me up. But I'm not leaving this. Well, it makes sense.
4: I'm obligated to bring my ritual dagger, but I can swallow that so it won't be a concern. I don't have weapons,
2: but I i don't think I could actually leave my weapon behind. It's kind of like I think it's I think it's technically as part of my spinal column.
4: We think that given the the ego that the Lotus Group has in general, if you just make a big deal about it, they'll let you keep it.
3: Oh, yeah, I'm not worried about that. I just wanted to give you guys a heads up in case things got rowdy.
4: If they get upset with you, we will punch you.
3: <laughs> Perfect. Because if we got to burn me further, so be it. Um, so I think we got to steal a boat. <gasps> yes. Everybody cool with that?
2: Uh, I mean, I'm cool with it. Are there other, are I mean, are there already like going to be like boats that we could probably like find a boat like to ride or something? I mean, if we got to steal a boat, that's fine. But
4: I think stealing it uh, is better for our cover. I like that idea.
2: You know, it's fair. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know, you convinced me. You convinced me to do the crime.
4: Oh, was that a crime? This has been very fun.
3: It's for the greater good. The greater good. So crime is. (laughs) Sorry, I just had (laughs) hot (laughs) fires flashbacks as you said that. (laughs) The greater good. Greater good. Uh, So I think this one time, I think we can justify it. Does anybody know how to hotwire a boat? Oh, yeah
1: we're going to cut to a wide shot of the four of you zooming away from province harbor on a stolen boat and as we do that the camera's going to pan over and just slowly focus in on a nearby airfield if you'd like to keep up with us and what we're up to you can follow us on twitter at live from the Instagram and TikTok at LiveFromTheApocalypse, sky at LiveFromTheApocalypse.com, or join our Discord community, which will be linked in the description down below. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, feel free to give us a good rating and follow the show on your podcatcher of choice. Leave a review if you're so inclined, it really does help us out so much. The donation link to our current charity fundraising campaign can also be found in the description if you'd like to help us support worthy causes. Join us for the live recordings of Academy H every other Sunday or any of our many other ongoing live-streamed campaigns that happen throughout the week over at twitch.tv LiveFromTheApocalypse. For all this information and more, check out LiveFromTheApocalypse.com. As always, nothing we do would be possible without your support, and we appreciate you so, so much. Until next time. Academy H is edited by Will Malkus with music and sound effects from Epidemic Sound, Dark Fantasy Studios, and Crotos Sound. Character art by at on Twitter and Instagram. you're gonna say the twink category <laughs> they also
0: fall under that category we know what I play Will we all what'd know you change
1: your, what'd you change your handle to today thanks to
0: Raph, I changed and Will I changed it to religious trauma twink because I will be playing three characters starting with this one who all fit in that category it's fine I accept this about myself.
4: Get that stamped.
1: <laughs> it's your next chest piece tattoo.
0: <laughs> right underneath! 100%. Right underneath. I mean, honestly, that would be on brand for the team. like, one flesh one end religious trauma twink.
4: Oh. Oh no, A-plus. put it on the back so
0: it completes it like a little circle. <laughs> I mean, I am going back to that studio. So, uh...